That is a funny skit talking about the biggest problem in our marriage. Why is it that when you say I do to the person later in life, there's so much heartache? Where did the honeymoon bliss go and then it turns into complaining? Why do couples go to bed so angry, struggling in their relationships? What is the biggest problem in marriage? Some people point to the pressures of life, finances, children, work pressures, or other issues. What makes marriage problems so difficult to resolve? And in order for us to resolve these problems today, and may I add to you those that are not married, these are also relationship problems, so this is still applicable to you, you need to understand that the biggest problem in marriage is a sin that exists inside each and every one of us. You see, often, and what I'm going to be talking about today, and I've titled my sermon, Deception and Deflection versus Conviction and Confession, is because often we like to deny the sin that's in our lives. Uh, One author, biblical counselor Dave Harvey, titled his book on marriage, When Sinners Say, I Do. And he writes, marriage is a union of two people who come carrying luggage in life, and that luggage always contains sin. What we must understand today is more so than personality types, more so than roles, sex, or money, more than all these things, sin is at the root of the conflicts that we face in marriage. Sin is at its root. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, Um, And we're going to look in God's word. Because we need to start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to begin today. Let me go ahead and read God's word for you. Now, just some background. What we need to understand is this is the creation... uh, the union of man and woman. And remember back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God thought that it was not good for man to be alone, so he made a helper fit for him. So he took out of the rib of Adam and made woman. In Genesis 2, 24 and 25, he said that the man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now we get to Genesis 3 and this marriage, this first union that God has put is put under the test. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman went. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Right there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we see that Satan goes into attack mode against God's word. And he's trying to promote unbelief in Adam and Eve's lives. Did God really say, does God really have your best interest in heart? Does he love you? Can he be trusted? The whole time, God has been determining what is good, what is pure, what is holy, what is right. And what Satan wants to do is make Adam and Eve think that maybe it would be better if they were their own boss, if they were in charge. Maybe God is holding out on them. You know, he's saying to Eve, you know, you can be the boss and you can make better choices for yourself. Eve, you can be the ruler. Eve, you know yourself better than God does, so just take of the fruit and eat. And they did. Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree and sin entered the world. And God came to the garden to question them about their broken fellowship that he had with them and now that they had with each other. And notice what happens when God asks this question in verse 11, who told them that they were naked and had they eaten of the tree? Notice what Adam's words to God's are. The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. He's saying, hey, listen, God, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. Hey, it it wasn't me. And then not only that, he's saying, God, it's actually your fault. You gave Eve to me. You're the one that caused this because you you made her. So I'm absolving myself from any of the responsibility, even though God specifically gave those commandments to him. Eve, on the other hand, she goes and says, It was a serpent that deceived me. Deflection begets deflection. They don't want to take ownership for their sin. This is what happens with the biggest problem in marriage, and we see this in the first relationship, is we try to justify our conduct by pointing to the circumstances. And that funny skit that you saw, they're trying to say that, hey, I'm just a truth teller. So maybe if I am loud, that's just me speaking my truth. That's what a lot of the times I had to get used to in Jersey is, well, people are just going to be honest with you, Lord. So if they're a little bit rough, they're just from Jersey. Wait, so that excuses sin? Huh? No, not by no means. You see, we are quick in relationships, specifically marriage, to point the finger at our spouses and not back at ourselves. We are quick not to take ownership. We have to recognize that the greatest problem in our marriages, the greatest problem in our relationships is the sin that lives inside of you because sin is so insidious. It's destructive and corrosive. Paul Tripp writes in his book, uh, What Did You Expect? Sin causes us to place ourselves in the center of our world. 
Sin defines life in relation to my wants, my needs, and my feelings. Sin makes life all about me. We were created to live in a community of God and others, but sin destroys that design by leading us to live for ourselves. Sin is self-focused. It's self-absorbed. Sin is selfish. Sin says, I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it, and I must have it. Sin says this, I want to praise my wife. I want my wife to praise me, actually, when I walk into the house. Oh, Lawrence, thank you so much for all your hard work. I want my kids to run up to me. Daddy, daddy, you are the best. Daddy, can I take your shoes from you? Daddy, here's your sweet tea. Go sit on the couch and you can watch some of your soccer highlights. That is my mindset. That is sin that's living in me that I want to be served. You see, sin is also the thing, the selfishness that lives inside and seeing, hey, the remote is from here to there. But I have three kids, so I mean, look, what's the purpose in having kids if they can't serve you? So it makes me want to say, hey, Amari, Layla, can you go get Daddy the remote? See, it's at the root conflict of all that we exist in our marriage. But what happens in our society, in pop psychology, and at times in Christian literature, is we spend so much time focusing on the situations where problems arise and not at the main problem. We deal so much with the fruit of the problems, but not the root. For example, uh, there's books on marriage, Christian books, that deal with the roles and responsibility of marriage. Some books will say, well, men, you should be in charge of everything outside the exterior of the house, women in charge of the interior of the house, and then you will have a happy marriage. But that's not getting to the root of the problem that's inside of you when you blow up when things don't go your way. Or great principles you can get from Dave Ramsey finances. Finances is things and budgeting. And these are all great principles to have. But budgeting doesn't stop you from impulse buying. You can have a budget listed out, but it doesn't stop you from wanting to purchase that extra Starbucks drink or those new closings. You see, we are deceived by our own sinful state, and we try to deflect it on outside circumstances. None of these cause you to sin, but they're the location of your struggles. They're the location of my struggles. Marriage problems are heart problems. And what we've seen in our passage is sin is primarily idolatry, and it's the idol of ourselves. It's saying that I'm sovereign. I'm the chief source of reason in my life. This is why we have to understand ourselves, because the thing is, we don't look at ourselves clearly in the mirror. I think sometimes we look at ourselves, we think, oh, I'm doing pretty good. But there's a reason why when we're at the self-checkout line and someone scans something and that red light goes off, you get upset like, oh, messing up my schedule. There's a reason why a husband will get mad when the wife tapes over his football game with the Hallmark show, okay? It's the reason why the wife may give the husband a cold uh, look because he didn't notice her new dress, why the husband mistreats his wife with the way he speaks. You see, it's sin, ladies and gentlemen. It's the biggest problem. Now, what I'm not saying is that when we're sinned against that it's our fault. What I am, and I'm not saying that It's our fault if we're mistreated or abused. What I am saying that our regular occurring problems in our marriage 
we often deflect responsibility. We deflect it. We don't own it at all. We're deceived and we deflect. You see, we have seen that the problem of sin is our marriage and we are deceived by our own righteousness or by our own good motives. Example of this was um, December the 6th, 2000, and sorry, December the 5th, 2015. Um, we were going to have our daughter, Layla. We were looking forward to it. So I'm getting ready. I'm so excited because we're going to uh, delivery room. If you guys remember when I came and visited before then, I was still on crutches then, so it was like a mess. Amanda, they wanted to wheel her into the back uh, with a wheelchair, and I'm there with crutches going along. So we get back there, and I have this mindset, I am not going to mess up in the delivery room, okay? So what I was nervous about was my brother-in-law, actually, I don't know if he was lightheaded. Um, Thankfully, he doesn't listen to his live stream because it is a funny story. He was lightheaded, and he fainted. Well, when he fainted in the delivery room, this was before anything had taken place, his mom is there, she's concerned about him, the nurse is attending to him, and my sister-in-law is there, and she's like, is anyone going to pay attention to me? And I'm like, this is not going to happen to me. I'm going to make sure I'm there, I'm calm, I'm cool, I'm collected, I'm going to get through this. So I decide that I'm going to, um, I bought a Bluetooth music player and I'm going to play some music in the background to keep myself calm so I can get ready and then even hype myself up a little bit because I know this is going to be a marathon. So I got a music, you know, it stirs my soul. So I'm there, I'm playing my music and Amanda tells me to turn it down and I do. I'm like, okay, I understand. Maybe I'll change the tune a little bit. I turn it down again and she's like, turn it off. And I'm like, and again, this is not anything Amanda did wrong. I'm like actually offended. I'm like, oh, are you going to turn down my music? Like, this is really encouraging me. Like, I'm getting ready for, again, thinking it's my delivery. Like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I wish I had so counseled me about that. So I'm upset with her. Um, I try to get over it, but inside of my head, I'm thinking, why would she get in the way of me trying to be the husband I need to be to be calm, cool, and collected? Like, why should they be so grouchy? Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head. Now I'm like, wow, you are a moron, Lord. <laughs> like, Alec Carver's about to have a baby. I'm going to tell him the story, make sure he doesn't do what I do. Okay? But I was so deceived into thinking that I was actually right. I thought that I actually knew what I was doing. It's like I should have watched more Hallmark. Maybe I would have figured it out. Yeah, that would never happen. Um, We are so deceived by our sinful state, church family. We suffer from spiritual blindness. We often tend to see the weakness and failures in our spouse with greater accuracy than our own. And this makes it difficult to receive criticism. I remember counseling with a couple, and they said, we have an arguing problem. The husband's there, says to the wife, wouldn't you agree that we argue? She doesn't say anything. And he says to her, well, you see, she doesn't talk. This is why we argue, because she doesn't talk. And it's like, she said, well, you always butter me. Like, so they're arguing about if they argue. It's just like, oh, my goodness, I can't even get to your problem because you're arguing. You see, what we don't recognize is that it's selfishness and sin that lives inside of us, and we are deceived. I can tell you, Over the times I've been in counseling with people, 
It's so common for the husband or the wife when you're talking with them, hey, what's going on? What's your problem? What have you done wrong? Hey, and they'll say, well, I've done, spend two seconds, literally an hour telling all the things that their spouse has done wrong. No time then. Oh, well, what percentage do you think you've done wrong? Would you, would you say you're 5% of the problem? Ah, no, not 5%. No, I'm, I'm maybe, maybe 1%. No, no, he's really all the problem. You would think that it's crazy. That happens. You see, the husband views himself righteous while his wife is a sinner in need of help. The wife views herself as righteous and the husband is a sinner that needs help. And both of them make it so difficult. They're impatient. They're dissatisfied. And it becomes chaotic. 1 John 1.8 talks about this. We need to understand. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Last Sunday, Pastor Walker talked to us from this passage and there is self-deception and there's self-deception that is so rampant in marriages today, especially when we have the society and culture that's telling us to be true to ourselves, to live for ourselves, to be all about ourselves. It's so self-focused that we can't even think about that Christ says we should love one another, meaning we should sacrificially love one another. You see, we, we just get distracted by this. And, and this mindset, this deception that we have leads to us thinking we're self-righteous, where we have a controlling spirit. Well, we have maybe we're the spouse, where we're micromanaging decisions that our spouse makes. Um, I have to admit, I am guilty of this. I'm trying to get over it, but I'll say I'll blame my mother-in-law for it too. Um, I have a hard time with Amanda driving. Like I, but it's not against Amanda. It's more, mainly because of the horror stories I heard about her nana when she was driving to Philadelphia Zoo and how she would drive on one-way streets when she'd get distracted and look at things. And I know when Amanda likes to talk to me, she likes to look at things. But she hasn't got an accident. I'm the one that got an accident, actually. But I realize in my own heart, and I want to be transparent with you, that I have to realize that I'm the problem. I'm the source of me getting angry. It's, it's me. I can't blame her. I control my actions and my responses. Do you hear that? We may be sinned against. We may be in conflict, but we control our actions and our responses to what happens. Maybe in marriage, we can become entitled where we demand respect. We demand service. We demand our needs to be met. And if we have unmet needs, then we retaliate. We are deceived. You see, We are deceived into thinking that we are good. So what is the solution? Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because is there hope when we are deceived and we deflect our sin? Paul talks to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. And he says this. For the love... Of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
Notice what Christ has done. His love, it controls us. Another translation says the love of Christ compels us. Another version says presses us. The love of Christ is so overwhelming that when we have a new heart and a new spirit, it should control us. And what should it control us to do in our passage? It's to control us to no longer live for themselves. What if you woke up in the morning and you said, how can I best serve God and please my spouse and honor them? Instead of how can I be served in the morning? You see, we live for God and we live for others. The love of Christ compels us to live for God, not for ourselves. It teaches us to no longer function as if we're the center of the universe. It's to stop saying that I am perfect. Thankfully, um, my wife demonstrated this to me, and she was a good example to me this week. On, I was getting ready for this sermon, and on Thursday night, two hours before our swim lessons, where each kid needs someone to go to swim lessons, I said, hey, I can't go. I got to get ready for this sermon. So now she is two hours. She's got to rush and find someone else to be with Xavier at swim lessons. And so a little bit upset, but I should have given her more time. That was my fault. The next morning, I come back at around 8 o'clock in the morning, and she usually likes to run in the morning. But I had told her previously, hey, I can't do it on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, you can run. And I said, nope, can't do it. I could have said it nicer about just in a rush because we had the funeral today. But she demonstrated to me compassion, not retaliating, not getting angry. And I'm thinking, I could have been more tactful with how I said it and been more understanding. But the love of Christ controlled her in that situation. Here's the thing we need to understand here. We need to recognize when we are blinded by our own sin that we need the truth of the conviction of God's word. What I want to say to you is it is not common to go to churches where you're going to have ouch moments come from the sermons. It's few and far between because you see from society's perspective, the most successful churches are seeker sensitive and they're going to talk to you and your felt needs and try to boost your felt needs up and make you feel better, but they're not going to expose you to the truth of God's word and your sin. But it's not the case here at Faith Baptist Church where you hear from Pastor Walker and others and where we have God's word pricking us. Because here's the thing, God wants to keep refining us and turning us into his image and likeness. We have a lot of plastic Christians out there that are not transformed by the inside, but they have their easy believism tacked on, but they're still wicked and cruel people. And we don't have that. At our church, we're pushing for us to be convicted by the word. You see, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-headed sword. God's law has a role in highlighting sin and bringing conviction to us. Being convicted in a sermon is a good thing because it means God is at work in your life. And here's the thing you have to understand. It's not just conviction that we want to bring from the pulpit. It's that there is the ability to change. We're not just condemning you. We're trying to point you to the cross of Jesus Christ where you can get forgiveness and grace for your sin and be transformed because you're supposed to be looking more like Christ and less like yourself every day. So we have the conviction that comes from God's word. But then also, may I say to you, in your marriages particularly, 
I think one thing we fail to do is to have a checkup on our marriages and how we're doing. It's interesting because I go in for an annual physical every year to make sure, okay, they'll go do blood work. They'll talk to me if I have any issues. Every year, my insurance actually will pay for it that I have an annual physical because for the insurance company, it's better if I am healthy so I'm not paying out as much money. You see, my wife, because she had skin cancer, has to go to the skin uh, doctor every six months because she has to get checked to make sure that nothing's recurring. And you guys have other things. Why don't we have marriage checkups once a year? Why is it that we go and for some of us, we do premarital counseling, six sessions, and then we don't have anything else? Like, with something that's so pivotal in our society, marriages, we should have checkups. And what you'll see at the end of the service is I have a survey where we have a marriage checkup. And this was encouraged to me by a biblical counselor. And he said that you should encourage your church family that they should fill out this survey and then they should schedule to meet with a pastor during, um, yeah, give it two days before they meet with him so that he can help them see where do they need to grow in their life. Here's the thing you need to understand. We can't grow on our own. We need the word of God and we need people around us to help us. But it doesn't just have to be pastors. It can be small group leaders. It could be other brothers and sisters in Christ around you that are pushing you to live for God. Don't think that you can do marriages on your own. You need a community that's pushing you to live for God. We need to be convicted about our sin in our life. Then we also need to confess our sin. Confess our sin to our spouse, but ultimately confess our sin to God. We need to admit that we are wrong. Be honest with ourselves. Here's the thing we need to have in our marriages. If sin is the biggest problem, ownership. We have to own our wrong. We have to own our sin. We have to own when we make mistakes. We have to own it. We have to say, look in the mirror and say, what have I done wrong and what can I change? When, I'm getting, when a man and I have an argument, I try to stop and ask myself, what did I do to cause this? What could I do to diffuse this? What can I do to be a mediator of grace in this relationship, in this conflict? But often we're just looking to win a battle when we should be looking to love one another. And then when we confess our sin to God, the Bible talks about we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. We have to affirm his forgiveness in our lives. We are forgiven. We have been transformed. We can live a new life and we request that God would transform us, that he would change us, that he would shape us into his image and likeness. Sin is the biggest problem in marriage, and our blindness to our sin causes so much damage. So we must live a lifestyle of confession, recognizing where we have sinned and gone wrong and where we need the grace of God to transform us. Church family, is that you today? May I encourage you again, everyone, uh, Ted will be handing these out for annual marriage checkup. I encourage you to do it because you'd be surprised just the counsel and the wisdom. Again, I joked about it a couple weeks ago, but I get to talk to all the pastors in the office all the time about different situations and circumstances and life. And it's a blessing because I'm not trying to live my life on my own. I want wisdom. 
I want knowledge. I want understanding. I want people who have gone through life to give me counsel. May we all do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, Lord, and for your word, that your word does bring conviction. It brings forgiveness, Lord. And I just ask you that you would help us, Lord, to love you. Help us, Lord, to love our spouses, to love them as you love us. In your precious name, amen. You all are.